Uh, we wrapped up uh, the life of faith uh, and the life of Abraham uh, before we got into the Lenten season, and then we focused on the atonement of Christ, what he did upon the cross for us. And, uh, and now we're going to, instead of going back to Genesis, which we will get back to, uh, what we're going to do is we're going to spend some time in the letter of James and look at uh, the community of faith, uh, moving beyond individuals who believe uh, into what it should look like for us as a community who believe. How is it that we are to interact with one another? So uh, that's where we're going for the next few months. Um, I'm going to cover ground quickly. Um, it's not going to be uh, quite so much verse by verse. So uh, have mercy on me. I'll try to have mercy on you in this process. James 1, chapters, uh, sorry, verses 1 through 12. James, a servant or slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion. Greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and that steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flowers fall, and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let's pray. Father, we ask this morning that your spirit would be at work, shining your light upon this text, that we might see that which is there, in order that we might believe that which is there, in order that we might begin to obey that which you have called us to do in this text. Help us particularly to see your grace to us, even in the midst of your call to us. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. This week I finished up reading a book by Mary Beth Chapman. It's not my usual reading. Um, I tend to either be doing theology or novels. <laughs> so this was a very different read. And for those of you who aren't familiar, this, is, this book called Choosing to See it really is uh, about their experience before and after the tragic accidental death of their youngest daughter, whom they had adopted from China. 
it's sort of giving you a, a glimpse into what they experienced, how they sort of walked through this process uh, of something that just shattered their lives. Not just that because she had passed away, but because one of their other children was driving the car that hit their sister. And so they struggled with all kinds of things, like false guilt. Uh, they, they struggled with just the, all of the questions that any parents in, in, would ask in this situation. Why? What? How? One of the things that I found in the book as she sat with her children, particularly the other two girls that they adopted from China, and she said to them finally, this is hard. We can do hard. And she said that within a grasp of the grace of God. By the grace of God, we can do hard. By the grace of God, we can walk through this. By the grace of God, we can survive. We can stand up. But only by the grace of God. big idea this morning that James is really about is that Jesus moves us toward maturity in difficult ways. Before we get into the text itself, we really have some questions. I think most of us usually do. James does not really identify himself. There are two people who are usually uh, supposed to be the author of this letter. Uh, The first, which is the least likely, uh, is James, the son of Zebedee, the brother of John, the other apostle. But he died fairly soon. He was murdered by Herod. And so he's probably not the author of this particular letter. The most likely candidate is James, the half-brother of Jesus. And some people say, oh, it can't be him. He doesn't identify himself as the half-brother of Jesus. And really, I don't think that's a relevant idea because he's not writing as the half-brother of Jesus. He is writing as an apostle who serves God and serves his people. And so James, in a sense here, knows who he is. He identifies himself not to throw dignity upon himself, but he identifies himself as a servant or a slave of God. That he is at God's bidding, day in, day out. Morning, noon, night. He belongs to God. When was this written? Most likely the uh, second half of uh, the 40s in the old A.D., Um, it probably predates the council that we see in Acts 15. It, along with Galatians, are probably two of the earliest letters that we have in the New Testament. Okay, Uh, We'll see in chapter 2 that there seems to be some conflict between uh, James and Paul, but we'll clarify that for you all. And part of what's going on there in chapter 2 is um, really a misunderstanding on behalf of some people of what Paul is trying to say. And and James clarifies that, I think. They're very much in harmony with one another when we get down to what's really going on. He's writing to Jewish Christians who have been dispersed from Jerusalem in the persecutions that we read about in Acts. Okay? So at one point, he was essentially their pastor as an elder of the church in Jerusalem. 
But now he writes to these people that he loves from whom he is separated by distance alone and addresses their situation. So they know who he is. It is often claimed that James is not a very theological book. And in some ways, that's sort of true. There's no overt sort of theology, you know, because there are no theological problems going on that he's addressing. He's addressing more practical problems, and yet there is theology here. In fact, part of that theology is he knows who Jesus is. He calls him the Lord and Messiah, the Christ. And so he is very clear about who he is and who Jesus is. Very clear about these things. Not only that, but we see a a writing style that is very similar to the writing style of Jesus. He uses a lot of of natural illustrations, and we just heard a, a couple of them here about the grass and the flowers fading and talking about the waves upon the sea, things which he was very familiar with from his youth in which the people would be very familiar as well. And so he writes in a sort of a, almost a uh, Sermon of the Mount kind of style in how he writes. And it's very potentially confusing to people. For the overall structure, I kind of look at James this way. In chapter 1, he introduces everything he's going to talk about in the rest of the letter. And so it seems like he's repeating himself, but really he's introducing, then he's, then he's, getting to the, he's digging down deeper into these things. And so this is really sort of an introduction into what we're going to find through the rest of this book or this letter. So anyway, that being said, let's get back to our big idea that Jesus moves us toward maturity in difficult ways. The first part of that is tied in with that very first command, be glad. Hardship moves you toward maturity. James begins in this very unlikely place that these are people who were suffering and they needed wisdom. They needed to understand what was going on in the midst of their suffering. What's the big picture? What is God doing here? Because don't we all ask those questions? When life is hard, those are basically the questions we ask. And so James is answering this question for them. These particular people, as I mentioned, they had been uprooted by persecution in Jerusalem, and they have gone to these new cities, particularly places like Antioch, you know, where, where uh, Paul is going to have ministry later on. They've gone to these places, and they, they, they suffer twofold. Okay, Not only you know, have they... They've gone to a city where they probably have no connections, but they go with two stigmas. They're Jews, which means most of the Gentiles don't like them. And then they're Christians, which means that most of the Jews in town won't like them. Okay, so these people are most likely under very difficult circumstances in a number of ways. Okay? And and James says that we meet trials of various kinds. And there are two things that are going on in that phrase. And that is that idea of meet really has the idea of to fall. Okay, sort of like uh, the man on on the road to Jericho fell among thieves. That is the same word that that is found here. We fall into these trials unexpectedly. We don't see them on the horizon. We don't anticipate their coming sometimes. And yet, into them, there we go. 
On the day on which Maria Chapman was hit by the car driven by her brother, there was no way anyone could have foreseen what was about to happen. It was in May, and so the family was preparing for a number of things. The oldest son was getting ready to graduate from high school. Their hearts were filled with joy. Their oldest daughter, Emily, was getting ready to be married in the fall, and they had just dealt with some of the wedding plans, and they're still, you know, the, the, the kitchen table was covered with stuff planning for the wedding. Stephen is on the phone talking with his business manager uh, details of the upcoming tour that, that was going to happen. They never saw this coming. And yet, into it, they fell. There was no escaping this. There was no, oh, I see the road is out. I'll go this way. It was inescapable. And many of our trials are just like that, inescapable. We can't see them coming. We can't avoid them. We can't change the path. We must go through them. But it's not just that we, that they, we fall into these things, but they are of various kinds. There's different kinds of trials that we experience. But this idea of trial has to do, as I said, uh, I think, uh, maybe last week, pressure. The same, this one word can be used for trials and temptation, and later on he's going to use it for temptation. But here now, it's, it's, it's trial, and it has to do with pressure. And these hardships apply pressure of various sorts. They squeeze us in ways that we don't want to be squeezed. They apply, to use a different metaphor, heat to our lives that we do not want to experience. There can be spiritual pressure, and that's part of what these Christians that he's writing to are experiencing. Are, are, you know, are we going to stick with Jesus, or are we going to go back? It would be, be so tempting for them to forsake Jesus so they could go back to Jerusalem, wouldn't it? So they're, spirit, they're facing a spiritual pressure, and we can experience that as well. Do we obey our boss or Jesus when they are in conflict? Do we obey our spouse or Jesus when they are in conflict? So there's a spiritual pressure that we can experience in a hardship. There can be an emotional pressure that we experience in a hardship. The pressure of loss when someone we love passes away. There can be the emotional pressure of depression that comes upon us for any number of reasons. There can be an emotional pressure of conflict that we experience. In addition to those, there's financial pressure. The pressure of being underemployed or unemployed. And all of the financial pressures that create on people. Or unexpected expenses. You know, you've got it all budgeted out down to the last penny and you're going to make it. You see daylight's coming. Then all of a sudden something happens. Someone falls and gets hurt. The car gets dinged up. Or like when I went to Midas, your brakes need to be fixed. Oh, there's $600 I didn't expect to spend today. Those happen. And they put financial pressure upon us. There can also be, lastly, uh, the only last one I'm going to mention anyway, relational pressure. Again, that idea of conflict. 
that experiences. And what James says is similar to what Peter says. Be glad. (laughs) Consider it all joy. Now, here's, here's sort of the interesting thing. As I was thinking about this text, when you look in the Old Testament, there's never any instruction about trials. Really. You have examples of people going through trials. And so, and you see what, how they responded, but there's not ever a theology, so to speak, of trials. And so that's part of what's so fascinating is that Paul gives one, Peter gives one, James gives one, and amazingly, they're so much alike. We get a theology now of trials, and that's part of why when people say James isn't very theological, I'm like, are you reading the same guy I'm reading? He's giving theology here to sustain these people. Count it. It's a mindset. Consider it joy, precisely because we and our brokenness and fallenness are so prone to fear and anxiety and bitterness when we go through hardship, aren't we? Isn't the last thing we we do is think of joy? Okay? But he's not being a masochist here. He's not saying, just paint a smile on your face. That's not what he's doing at all. He's not kind of saying, ignore the pain. He's not saying that at all. He's pointing them to what God is doing through this. It's, the joy is not about the trial itself. It is about the goal of the trial. And so we're to be glad, not that we're suffering, not that life is hard. We are to be glad at what God is going to produce in us through the trial. And so it doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. It doesn't mean that you aren't sad. It doesn't mean any of those things but it means that you also recognize the work of God in this process. James has a uh, kind of lays this out that that testing produces endurance and then endurance produces maturity. Okay? Therefore, you know, this hardship is a means of, of testing us and because we looked at two ways. Uh, one can be looking at it in terms of gold or silver. You turn the heat up on the gold and silver, it melts. What happens? All the dross, the bad stuff, the impurities rise to the surface, and they're sort of scooped off. That's one way of looking at it, and that's a legitimate way of looking at it. But there's another way that's just as legitimate and just as important, I think, in this context, and that is of certain metals, certain steel You repeatedly melt it that it might get stronger and stronger. You heat it, you cool it. You remove impurities when it's hot. You're you're making it stronger each time. And that's really the idea of what's going on here, that that on the one hand, our faith is being purified because the, the crutches that we're using instead of relying completely on Jesus are being exposed so they can be removed. But also there's this idea of we are mating, being made tougher, stronger. Because there is no Christian maturity without endurance. 
we must learn to endure. And the only way we learn to endure is by experiencing difficulty. Thought of my daughter who just ran back into the room. We, we installed this, um, I don't know what to call it, play, play set. One of these European, it's not, it's not quite a swing set, you know. I don't know really what to call it. It's a little different from what we have out there, but there are a set of monkey bars. And I remember that even just a month ago, Jaden would want me, us to hold her on the monkey bars. And, you know, and I'm kind of like, Jaden, you can do this. <laughs> but no, we had to hold her. But guess what happens now? We don't have to hold her. Because she held on and endured, she's able to endure more and able to move forward and do the monkey bars. And someday she'll be able to do like some of the older kids at the playground. She'll be able to turn around and come back. But the only way you can learn to do that is by hanging on in the first place. Even to the point when you're about to fall. And so God brings us into these places so that we can learn to hang on. We can learn to endure Precisely so we can move toward maturity in Jesus Christ. And it is the maturity that is the source of joy. Just as it says about Jesus in Hebrews 12, For the joy that was before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. The cross was horrible, but he endured it for the joy that was before him, the joy of saving his people. So we see joy. We're commanded to have joy, not because we're suffering, but because of what it will produce in us. So God uses hardship to move us from where we are to where we need to be. Are you glad about that? Secondly, Ask God for the wisdom you need. Because one of the things that these hardships will produce, one of the things that we in our, in our immaturity lack is wisdom. Wisdom is not IQ. Do not confuse these two things. There are plenty of people in Washington who have good IQs and lack wisdom. Okay, There's lots of people everywhere you will meet that have high IQs and lack wisdom. Wisdom is rather the ability to identify the best ends or the best goals and the best way to get there. That's wisdom. That's what we, generally speaking, lack. And so trials come and they reveal either our lack of wisdom or the shortcomings of our own wisdom. Think again about the Chapman family. They, I mean, how do you survive something like that? Okay? They they lacked wisdom in how to walk through that situation as a family. Okay? And so, and and here's where I'm talking about the, the whole aspect of community of faith. Each of them was suffering individually but also they as a family were suffering. So they were suffering individually and as a community. 
And there are things in which uh, there, are, there will be people here in the congregation who are suffering individually, and basically it's just them suffering. Or they can suffer, but the, the congregation can also uh, partake in their suffering. Think of Enid. She's suffering. But we too share in that because of who Hector was in this congregation. We miss him too. And so we suffer alongside of her and with her. That is a community suffering. When the, when the pipe broke, there was no sort of individual suffering. I guess well, Steve might disagree about that. <laughs> and, I, and my wife might disagree about that. She knows how many sleepless nights I had, you know, thinking about these things. But that was something that we as a body went through together. Okay? And we needed, and, and that exposed our need for wisdom. Right? Poverty and riches are, are two things that he brings up here that can be trials that require wisdom. But I'm going to say we'll pause on that and deal with it next week. We're actually going to start with verse 9 next week and deal with that kind of stuff. But what James does is he says, ask. God for wisdom. Sometimes we're afraid that asking him for wisdom is going to be like when I went to talk to my dad before I went to college. Now, so I'm not too hard on my dad. When my oldest brother was going to go to college, um, he didn't like what my father said. And it created lots of conflict in their relationship that really still continues to this day. I mean, we're talking 30-something years later. There's still this thing between them, okay? And so my, my dad, not wanting to do that, I, I, I went to him, you know, my mom, of course, was like, I think your dad would appreciate it if you go ask him about, you know, going to college and this kind of stuff. So I go and I sit down and I'm thinking I'm going to have this big deep conversation with my dad and I'm like well dad you know I'm thinking about um you know because I'm thinking about being a lawyer and uh, I think economics I think that's going to be a good pre-law course of study and all I got was yeah sounds okay to me (laughs) this is what was so important (laughs) well he didn't want to do to me what he had done to my brother and so he overcorrected. So, but we're afraid that God's going to go. Eh, well, you know, hang in there. He's not like that. What James says is that he will give precisely because he is generous. This is part. We see this um, in Paul's ministry. He's, he's not asking, in the letters, he's not asking for wisdom for himself, but he asks it for other people. In Ephesians and Colossians, he includes as part of his prayers, uh, in Ephesians 1, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you might know him better. We need wisdom to know God. He says in Colossians 1, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, because that's a church he didn't plant, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom 
and understanding. Paul knew those people needed wisdom. So did James. And he says, ask for it. It's his nature to give. He doesn't give wisdom because we deserve wisdom. He gives it because we need wisdom. And he, as a father by grace, wants to give it to us. And I love what, he, what James says, which is slightly obscured by the translation. Um, where was it? Without reproach. He will give without reproach. And what this, this idea means is that God will not chide us. God will not insult us. God will not demean us. God will not mock us when we ask for it. He's not going to be like a cruel, drunk dad who says, what, you need wisdom? <laughs> Go somewhere else. Idiot. That's not who he is. He gives without reproach, without insult. But, as James says, we must trust him to give it. He talks about this double-minded man, which is sort of a play on this idea um, that, that God gives. There's a, there's a word that is used in the Greek that has that idea of unity. That God is of one mind. He's not at cross purposes with himself. Okay? And what the problem with these people could have been is that they were of two minds. At purpose, cross purposes with themselves. And he talks about this double-minded man, and he talks about them as this is like a person who's like a wave who's just blown here and there by the wind. Doesn't know where it's going, just kind of at the at the mercy of other forces. And when we're when we're doubting. Okay, not whether or not, is this theological premise true? But when we're doubting the heart of God, then we are like that unstable wave. We're just blown all around. Okay? It's okay to ask questions and to understand whether or not something is true and what it means. That's good. The idea is to doubt God and his goodness and his willingness to give that which he has promised. And that will destroy you because now you're at the mercy of yourself. We'll be torn in our allegiance, blown here and there, and we will get ultimately nowhere. And so God uses hardship to reveal our need for the wisdom that only He can and will provide, which brings us to the last place here again, formed in, in a command, feed perseverance on love and trust. I'm, I decided to steal the first part of when he goes back to the idea of persevering. Okay, We're going to deal with this a little more in depth uh, next week. But James, in verse 12, uses this phrase, blessed, which some people sometimes translate happy, which is not really the idea because this has to do with the idea of, of the covenant. 
This is a person who is receiving the blessings, the goodness of the covenant. Who is this person that receives these covenant blessings? He's saying that those who endure trials, who stand up under trials, will be blessed. And so God here is providing additional motivation to us it's not just, I mean, he's already laid out the pursuit of maturity, but now he's going to lay out some other things about how do we get there. And, it, and, he, and James is letting us know that perseverance needs motivation. We have to give it some fuel if we're going to keep going. Okay? You know, I'm, I'm sure a lot of those, those guys who were just drafted this weekend, you know, in the NFL... I'm sure a lot of them, when they were doing their squats or bench presses or something at, that, uh, at the camps, you know, when they're all being tested and they have all these scouts counting, okay, how many times does he bench press this thing? I'm sure what motivated them, one more, one more, one more, was like, I get a higher draft pick and I, I get more money. <laughs> they had motivation. It wasn't just, I want to do more. It was, there's, there's a motive here, money or something else. So... God is giving us motivation so that we have what we need to keep moving. And so he says, the one who stands up under, okay, under this great weight, the weight of this test, he will receive the crown of life. Two parts of that, the standing up under. I'm reminded of the movie The Crucible, the Daniel Day-Lewis version. And they're, they're trying to extract what they think is a confession from a man that he has been engaged in witchcraft or he knows who has been engaged in witchcraft. And so what they've done is he's laying down and they've placed bricks on a board on his chest. And so they're thinking that if they just apply enough weight, he will finally reveal to them what they want to know. And what he says to them is, more weight. Don't we usually want less weight? <laughs> and that's, I think, the mindset that James wants us to have is more, again, so that we might become mature. The motive that he gives initially is the crown of life. Stephanos. Hey, that sounds familiar to me my name comes from and it's not a gold crown it's not you know what we i didn't watch the royal wedding so i don't know was he wearing a crown no princely crown for him oh well he might get one eventually um if he lives long enough and all that fun stuff uh but that's not that kind of crown it's the crown of a victor it's the it's the wreath that it was placed upon the head and you've seen this in different greek statues i'm sure and the, the Greeks and the Romans would use this. Who gets the crown? Do you get the crown for participating? You know, I mean, that's, that's part of what frustrates me today about youth sports. It's almost like everybody's a winner. No. <laughs> Only those who win, win. <laughs> we keep score. I'm sorry, I'm old school. All right. Only the guy who won got that crown. But part of how God reshapes this is only those who finish get the crown. You don't have to win in this race. 
but you have to finish. You have to persevere to get this crown. And so that is held out there. Okay? But who is it that's going to finish? God promised this to whom? Those who love Him. Those are the people who are going to finish this race. I think again, you know, the Chapman family, how is it that they continue to press on through the midst of this difficulty? Even though they didn't understand what God was doing, they loved Him because they knew He loved them first. And so it was their love for God that, con- that drove them to continue through this and to not bail on Him. They stood up because they loved the one who first loved them. And that is that, that's the, the reality, love and trust. These are the things that are necessary fuel for perseverance. We will not endure if we do not trust His promises. We will not endure if we do not love Him who first loved us. We'll just say, it's not worth it. And so we won't hang in there. We'll give up and walk away. Let's remember that our, both our love and our trust are ultimately grounded in the testimony of Scripture. Okay? It's not something that you sort of create within yourself. It is a response to the truth of Scripture. And in order to have the response to the truth of Scripture, guess what I'm going to say next? You have to be reading Scripture. Our tendency in the midst of trial is to develop tunnel vision. So that all that we see is our trial. What we need to do is step back from the tunnel vision and get the wisdom of Scripture, which looks beyond our trial so that we can be reminded of His love that we might love Him back, that we might be reminded of His promises that we might trust Him, and that we therefore are able to endure. So your tendency in trial is going to be to re- remove yourself from Scripture, to, to, to uh, not engage in that practical spiritual discipline, and that is the thing you need the most. That Big warning here, folks. When we're in the midst of a trial, we always tend to do the thing we least should do. (laughs) And we tend to avoid doing that which we most need to do. People who are hurting, what do they do? They usually withdraw themselves from the company of other people when that is what they need. When you pull yourself away from those who love you, you're going to spiral into depression. We're sinners. 
And generally speaking, when we meet trial, our first inclination is to do the dumbest, worst thing we could possibly do. That is why we need the wisdom of God that is only found in Scripture so that we might walk in a way that will bring healing to us. All right. Gone on too long. But it needs to be said. And I might say it again. Because I know we forget. Our faith must be purified by testing and hardship so that it rests more completely on Christ and Christ alone. We will only grow strong in the faith, mature in the faith, as we endure trials. We can only endure these trials by seeking wisdom from God and by growing in love and trust as He reveals His character to us through the Scriptures. And so I want you to rejoice, brothers and sisters, because when you encounter these hardships, when they fall upon you, God is at work for your good. To bring you to the place you could never go otherwise. Let's pray. Father, Your Word at times... uh, calls us to do things that are difficult. And as we sit and listen to this, it's probably easy for us to think, easy for you to say. And just because you say it does not mean it is easy. But your character is to give us the sufficient grace that though it may not be easy, it is possible. And so teach us to endure because we love, because we trust, that we might become mature. For none of us has arrived. None of us is there. So none of us is immune from falling into traps. None of us is immune from the need for testing. So be gracious to us. Deal mercifully with us. For we are frail and forgetful. But I thank you that you have placed us in a community where we can lovingly remind one another. We can lovingly support one another. We can point one another to Jesus. Help us to do this. In His name, amen.